0: I ask you to open your scriptures with me to Ephesians five. The home is full of embedded portraits of redeemed relationships. We're going to see that in Ephesians chapter five. And we've been talking about sanctification. Sanctification is both being holy and becoming holy. You'll see, and the reason we say that, the reason we define it that way is the scripture uses the term sanctification in both of those ways. And the results of those, or we're going to say the consequences, you know, consequences aren't always negative. There are positive consequences. The consequence of being holy and becoming holy as the Spirit fills us, or as we walk and step with Him, The consequences of that are shown probably clearer than in any other place in our relationships with one another. And you're going to see a list of those. Paul's just going to kind of catalog these relationships in Ephesians 5. But here are some of the embedded portraits in Ephesians. Husband-wife relationships. A husband-wife relationship is intended to model something about the gospel. That's what Ephesians 5 teaches. Parent-child relationships. Parent-child relationships. This is another embedded portrait. It's supposed to model something of the relationship between the father and the son and also between fathers and children in an earthly home. But these aren't the portraits our culture is painting, are they? You know, our, our culture loves to paint a portrait of three different kinds of men. They celebrate this. And and I believe in their anti-God, hostile, secular agenda, they have leveled their attacks against men. They love to celebrate the portrait of the effeminate man. They love to celebrate the portrait of the protracted adolescent the boy who just never grows up, the boy who never escapes his junior high mentality even though he's 32 years old. And our culture loves to highlight the hero thug. You know what I mean by that? He's the hero, but he's violent. And it's really that portrait that has given rise to or at least encouraged in some measure of the radical feminism that we're dealing with today. So you have the effeminate, you have the protracted adolescent, you have the hero thug. Is that the portrait that we see in Scripture? Is that what we see in the life of Christ? Is that what we see in in the relationships that sort of unfold out of Colossians and Ephesians and these other letters that are written to us? I've had you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul has already told his readers that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. To be sealed is really, it's like, you know, Tupperware is the best way I can explain it, where you can have some liquid in there, and and if you close it properly, you can drop it, it falls out of the refrigerator, face down, and ideally, if it's really Tupperware, it doesn't leak, right? That's how we are sealed, and that sealing is the guarantee of the inheritance which we have received in part, but not in full, and it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Paul's already told his readers that they have been sealed. He's also told them in Ephesians 4, verse 30, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's because this is a relationship. Just like, children, your relationship with your mom and dad, you either have a grieved mom and dad because of your actions and your attitudes, or you have an ungrieved mom and dad because of your actions and your actions and your attitudes. In the same way it says, okay, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And there are these there are these actions that go along with that. So how do we, how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, be angry but don't sin. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Put away all wrath and bitterness and clamor and evil speaking. Why? Because those things grieve this person who by his very nature and name is holy. Now in Ephesians 5.18, he exhorts them. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We have been sealed. Do not grieve. Now be filled. Really, there's two imperatives here. Don't be what? First command, don't be drunk with wine, but be There's the second imperative, filled. And then what follows that are really four participles that are going to show you or or unpack for you the consequences of obeying those two commands. They all end in ING indicating these are the results of obeying the command to be filled with the Spirit. But the Apostle first begins with a very specific comparison. What is the similarity between wine, and the Holy Spirit. What, what is the crossover? They both what? They both control. They both affect us. They both influence us. And that influence is going eventually, if you're filled with it, is eventually going to be conspicuous. It's going to be evident. So we don't have to walk around here wondering, oh, I wonder if Josh is filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we know that Josh will be filled with the Holy Spirit if these consequences are true. Or I wonder if Stan is filled with the Spirit. Or I wonder if Betty is filled with the Spirit. Because there are clear consequences that are going to tell us that this person is not merely religious, maybe not even just merely evangelically and conservatively religious, but they actually are being influenced by the Holy Spirit. And you'll know that because of the consequences that follow. And, and, and I'm, I'm really addressing men, husbands and fathers and sons this morning. Not just because it's a holiday. I want you to understand, as a church, we do not feel tethered to an American calendar. You can, you can read all the excerpts of the Apostles' sermons and Jesus' sermons, and they, did just not, they didn't just highlight every single holiday that came around. So sometimes we'll choose to just move through a series and not highlight that. The reason I'm choosing this morning to do this is because of the incredible attack against biblical manhood. And we're not just going to do this on Father's Day. We'll do this at other points, but I want to, I want to shout this out and call our men to action because of the culture that God is asking you to rise up and influence. This comparison is about influence. In the first chapter of Dr. Martin lloyd Jones's book, Life in the Spirit in Marriage, Home, and Work, there's a, there's a chapter called The Stimulus of the Spirit. He writes both as a medical doctor and as a pastor, and he says this, quote, Wine, alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant. It is a depressant. Take up any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol and you will find always that it is classified among the depressants. It is not a stimulant. Further, it depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. Everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, judgment, balance, The powers to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest, it influences those. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones continues If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants, for that is where he belongs. He stimulates our every faculty. Now consider how Paul paints the contrast. If you're drunk with wine, that leads to a life where people give way to uncontrolled actions. The term he uses there actually refers to animal-like behaviors. This animal-like behavior made the news again yesterday. Of a former Vanderbilt football player who was found guilty on five accounts of aggravated rape and two counts of aggravated sexual battery, in addition, he was convicted of one count of unlawful photography. It took the jurors only four hours to come to the conclusion that he is guilty, even though his defense, quote, had maintained that he was drunk and should not be held responsible. But he is responsible. He was influenced in a way that the Holy Spirit does not influence. The Holy Spirit, by His very nature and His name, is holy. And when men and when husbands and when fathers and when sons are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will reflect Christ, not animal-like base behaviors. You see, the results of being Spirit-filled are very clear. matter of fact, John Stott stated this, there is no greater secret of holiness. I always tell you to be careful of the single key or the secret, but here Stott's going to use that word. There is no greater secret of holiness than the infilling of him whose very nature and name are holy. So what does it look like? What does it look like when a grandfather is filled with the Spirit? We have a new grandfather with us this morning, um, and grandmother. What does it look like? What does it look like when that grandfather enters the home? What does it look like when children come home to the house where a spirit-filled dad lives? What does the wife look like? How, does she, how is she presented by him when she lives in the home with a man who's filled with spirit? What do the sons look like? How do they interact with sisters and other women in their life And when they're filled with with the spirit. Look at look at uh, Ephesians 5:19. It's going to seem a little silly at first. Paul's writing to a corporate body. He's going to explain what goes on in our heart as an overflow into our worship together. The effects of spirit filling will be seen through worship. Personally, but here Paul is addressing it corporately. So What happens in here is an overflow of what has been happening Monday through Saturday in the home. And if in the home we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, when we gather we will worship how? In spirit and in truth. If at home Monday through Saturday we have been the world's greatest critics and we have been embittered, then no no question when we gather on Sunday... We will mirror what we have been living Monday through Saturday. Ephesians 5.19 says this. This is what it looks like. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. doesn't say anything about the quality of your voice, right? Do you know how else it's seen? Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything. Dads, you will example gratitude to your children. They will hear it, they will sense it, they will see it, they will example it. Giving thanks always and for everything. A grumbling spirit. That was sort of the besetting sin of Israel. Numbers 11, verse 1. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. It angered the Lord. That was the besetting sin of Israel. And grumbling cannot coexist with the Holy Spirit. It grieves Him. Look at verse 21. Not only through worship, but through gratitude, but also through submission. We, we haven't gotten to the wife's duty yet. This is a general, this is one of those hinge verses before he gets into the specific relationships. And it says, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what would you say of a person who claims to be filled with the Spirit but becomes aggressive, self-centered, proud, and caustic? When the Holy Spirit produces humility, meekness, and gentleness. I want us to know really four technical things about this command, be filled with the Spirit. Back up in Ephesians 5, verse 18. It's in the imperative mood. That simply means it's an authoritative command, not a suggestion. Secondly, it's in the plural form. It's given to the entire Christian assembly. It's given to this entire church. Be filled with the Spirit. So, being filled with the Spirit, this is not an elitist privilege. Being filled with the Spirit is not reserved for our favorite evangelist or our favorite public speaker. This is a command for the entire church. It's in the passive voice, let the Spirit fill you. How do we do that? See, it's not a formula to recite. It's not a technique to learn. It's simply a lifestyle of repentance, turning away from that which grieves the Lord and turning towards that which pleases Him. That's it. And let Him fill you that way. Let Him influence you. Let Him control you. And it's in the present tense. The action is continuous. So when, when Jesus commanded at the first miracle, at the wedding of Cana, to go fill the water jars That was one form of a verb where it was going to be done once. That's not this verb. This is to let him continually fill you. You walk in this way, it becomes a lifestyle. What does that look like? Look at Ephesians 5.25. What's the first word? Husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, what's the first word? Look at your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. I want to hear children's voices. What's the first word? That was a very deep child's voice. It's like children. But it was correct. Look at 6, verse 4. What's the first word? Fathers. These relationships are shaped by the Holy Spirit. And people that live with those fathers and husbands and children will sense and be shaped by the effect of it. Now, in Colossians three twenty-one, you have the same use. You have fathers, Colossians three verse twenty-one; children, three verse twenty; husbands, three verse nineteen. And then you also have the giving of thanks, and you have that public, the corporate worship. But the consequence comes from something different, other than the control of the spirit. We talked about this two weeks ago. And rather than being filled with the Spirit, it comes by way of what? Letting what? Letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So this is how a biblical home is shaped. It is shaped by people. Born-again believers who at the, at the point of conversion have been given the Holy Spirit. He resides in you. He seals you but these people now let Him continuously fill them. And that in part happens when we give the Word of Christ a rich dwelling place in our life. So how do I know what does not grieve the Spirit? The Word of Christ. How do I know what pleases the Spirit? What's going to keep His influence active in my life? The Word of Christ. So biblical homes are shaped by men of the Word and women of the Word. But I'm going to call our men to be the resident theologian of your own household. So the question isn't, how little can I do and still be considered a Christian? The question is, given my time, my resources, my opportunities, how should I readjust my schedule and make what God says should be a priority in the home so that I'm not only providing that culture for my wife, but my children and those who work with me as well. It is a being filled with the Holy Spirit by letting the Word of Christ have a rich dwelling place in you. And where is that going to be evident? What does Colossians 3 say? What does does Ephesians 5 and 6 say? That's going to be evident. Spirit-filled people and Word-dwelt people, it's going to be most evident where? This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it will be evident among this community of believers, Highlands Baptist Church, as we share life together. But it's going to be extremely evident in the home, at the breakfast table, Tuesday evening at 9 o'clock, Saturday night. And it's going to be evident whether we have simply adopted a religious cadence to life which really flourishes on Sunday, or whether we have become radical followers of Jesus who are going to let Christ's Word dwell in us and let the Spirit fill us. Al Mohler writes this, The best way to raise masculine sons is for fathers to embody Masculinity. What we intentionally practice daily will eventually be formed in our sons. There's a warning in that. Apart from God's grace, my idols will become whose idols? My children's. An idol isn't just this little metal figurine an idol can be control. An idol can be any activity or person or experience found enjoyment in apart from God. And we're exampling that. It's inescapable. And this is what I want you to see. Your leadership, men, and this is we're going to fly through three key points. Your leadership is inescapable. Look at verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. That is compared to Christ's headship over the church. The church is safest. The church flourishes best. The church finds its comfort, its security, its joy when she is submissive to her head, Christ. And here in Ephesians 5, Scripture says the husband is the head of the wife. By the way, this is not a command does not say to be the head. Nowhere does it say for you to take up leadership. It simply states a fact. You're the head of your home. That means you can't get away from it. Okay, so if a, if a father runs off, he is leading by his absence. If a father becomes a workaholic, and preachers can become workaholics too, and it's not okay just because it's the ministry, And he is leading by his addiction. You have an inescapable leadership. You are the head of your home. Now, some of our ladies aren't under that kind of a joy and security and comfort in that relationship. In 1 Peter then is written primarily in the household code passage of 1 Peter to the wives. And it encourages you how to influence your husband and how to win him with the quietness of your own spirit, not, not with words, but with your example. And so even the Scripture is ministering to those in here who don't find themselves in this kind of a situation. And that God, through His grace, wants to win your husband through you. Sometimes even a child can win their parents' affections back to the Lord. Husbands and fathers, the real question is not, are you the leader, but listen... How are you leading? How are you leading? If your children were to say Monday through Sunday, seven days a week, this is what my dad lives for. You want want to see him passionate? This is what he loves. When he's hurt or feels betrayed, this is how he responds. As I see him and mom interact, this is what it looks like. When things don't go well and the stress level rises, this is how he responds to us. When evil touches the home, this is is who he ran to. You're the leader. How are you leading? Ephesians 5 moves from the husband's inescapable leadership to the basis of that leadership. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 26. Or verse 25. Husbands, love your wife. See, now there's your command. It moves from an indicative, states of fact, you're the head of your home, and it moves to the basis of your leadership. Love your wife. Sacrificial love is to characterize the husband's love in the home or his leadership in the home. Paul. It's interesting. Paul uses two analogies here. Uh, the first we get, the second one seems a little odd. We're just going to look at these. Uh, first of all, husbands, fathers, your leadership in the home is to be loving. And it's supposed to example, look at verse 25. And We're just going to walk through five different verbs. Husbands, love your wives like this. As Christ loved the church. And, second verb, Gave himself up for her. Gentlemen, do you do that? Ever? you ever give up your, your desires? Your agenda? Your schedule? Your preferences? Your likes? Do de- you ever give up? And that's just on a superficial level. Here Christ is talking about giving himself up. His life. For her, so rather than crushing the church, he lets his own self be crushed for her. Let me tell you what—that's a powerful example. It'd be very difficult for a child to get away from that example from a husband and a dad. He gave himself up for her. Why? Christ's love has an effect that he might sanctify her. There's that word, this this series on sanctification we've been talking about. He's he's setting her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. It seems to be an allusion to to baptism, but not just a, a mysterious baptism, but one that is defined by the Word through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The washing of the water with the Word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The second analogy, because that, that, that is a high picture, right? I mean, have I, have I lived that out today, this morning, with very limited contact with my wife on a Sunday morning? No, I've, I've already fallen short of that example, haven't I? I mean, to love that way? Doesn't mean we don't attain it. We don't strive for that. We don't trust God for that. But that is that is very high. So look look at look at the next Ill- analogy he gives. Look at verse twenty-eight. Not only must the husband love his wife as Christ loved the church, he must love his wife as he loves himself. Doesn't that's like really Paul? <laughs> I mean, you went from there to there. You went from Christ sacrificial love to self love. But don't we relate with that? Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. We say, I don't really love my body. I mean, look at me. No, you love your body. Walking in the backyard yesterday, thorn went right up into my foot. And I said, you know what? I just don't have time for that right now. I'm just... I'm a, okay, calendar Monday, Monday morning's open to maybe pull the thorn out. No. What do you do? Foot comes up. You're like, ah, my first reaction is who put that there? Right. I'm looking for, looking for somebody to blame. And if it's not the kids, it's the dogs. Right. So no. And what do you do? You, if you can pull it out quickly, you do it. And then you rub it and you look, you know, is there blood? And you, I mean, you're just a wimp about a little thorn in the bottom of your foot. You know why? You love yourself. I love myself. If I desire my kids, will, my kids know this. If I crave Chick-fil-A, forbid it ever be on a Sunday that I crave Chick-fil-A, okay? But if I crave Chick-fil-A and I talk about it, like, you know, you, when you start verbalizing a craving, it's over. And we think, you know, I know right where our Chick-fil-A is, and we just get in the car and I go over, and just number two entree only and a four-piece chicken strip entree only and 53 sauces, right? No, you don't get that... So, why? I love myself. Right? It's not inappropriate unless it's excessive. In the same way, you should love your wife. And that's going to overflow in the same way you're going to love your children. You're going to care for them. And we all know spiritual leadership exceeds the basics of food and protection and health. And that's why you have the first analogy. So you're going to love them like Christ loves the church. Paul's going to fuse these two points together. Look at verse 29. But he nourishes his own body and he cherishes his own body just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. See, Christ's bride and Christ's body are the same. My bride... And I have become one. And when that's not lived out before our children, you will have such a negative effect upon them, you will unleash on this world, but it already has in excess. But what it does not have in excess is godly men who lead with love. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, verse 33... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now we'll take time to unfold the relationship between child and father as we see in Ephesians 6 uh, at another point. Um, Here's the point I want to make this morning and the reason we didn't go right to Ephesians 6, 1-4. The best thing, and, and Matt said this at the beginning, the best thing... Dad, that you can do for your son or daughter is what? Love Christ and love your wife as Christ loved the church. And, and you can beat yourself up about the time that has escaped and live in regret. And really, you have the message for both defeated and discouraged husbands and fathers and complacent husbands and fathers, and those who are actually growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and living this out as husbands and fathers. Here's the point. When the Spirit takes up residence in you by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. The Gospel changes everything. It does not leave a home untouched. It does not leave wives untouched or husbands, or children, untouched. It does not leave a heart untouched. It worships. It sings. It submits. It's thankful. It does not leave a church untouched. To the defeated husband and father, Paul would say, let the Spirit fill you, and He will cause in you to grow the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He will influence you to love your wife and be gentle fathers to your children. To the complacent husband and father, He would say, go on being filled with the Spirit. Be thankful for what He has graced you with already, but do not say you have arrived. Do not become mechanical, but let the Spirit keep filling you. And the message to those faithfully pressing on is, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. And and dads, it's not too late. Maybe your children are already out of the home. Maybe they're already suffering under your bad example. I can remember feeling as though I lost my dad's heart when I was about 12 years old. And actually, it was my heart that turned away. We had planned a fishing outing that afternoon, and he came to me, and it was a breaking point. I was about 12 or 13, and he broke off that fishing appointment because he had to go back to work. And he pushed me basically to my next-door neighbor, who was a friend, to his birthday party that I did not want to go to. Why? Because nothing beats fishing with Dad. And I remember feeling something in my heart go hollow. And for about the next seven years, we basically lived apart from one another. I remember at age 20, I was born again at age 21. So this happened even before I was born again. I remember sitting embittered and hardened towards my dad a little bit. And I remember looking over in the living room. And for the first time in years, I actually saw him smile and laugh. He's always gentle and kind. But there was something that changed that moment when he started to interact with me again in a loving, gentle way. In the way that he would love my mom. His leadership was inescapable. When I was born again, our relationship grew and is tremendous to this day. And unlike some of you, I still have the counsel of my dad and that relationship. And I remember... Fred Smith, former CEO of FedEx, wrote in this little book called Learning to Lead, talked about this one high, powerful CEO executive, and he went fishing with his son rather than he went to work that morning. And he came back and he wrote, this dad wrote in his journal, he goes, went fishing today with my son, wasted morning. They found the son's journal later on, and later on he said, went fishing with dad today, best day of my life. So dads, don't underestimate your influence. You have inescapable leadership. You must lead with love. You must lead as Christ loves the church, and you must love her as you lo- already love your own body. Don't grow weary in well-doing. If you need to talk to your wife today, you to talk to your children today and ask forgiveness, that's meekness. That's humility. Do that. And then trust in the grace of God for a, restored and now renewed relationship as you move forward.